Yeah, welcome. Good morning once again, and welcome. This morning we are going to look at a topic that I have said some few years ago, and uh, I feel it's sometimes it's good to go back to the archive and see what to, you know, what to pull out that might be relevant to us today. And it's about integrity. I have, like I said a few years ago, I talked about this, and uh, the text was taken from uh, the book of Proverbs, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 7. And uh, in the course of this topic, and we would like to look at integrity as a concept and in relation to biblical principles. And we need to dig deep, you know, go through the descriptions, what it is, and as Christians, how we can apply it in our lives and make the difference. Father Lord, thank you once again. Thank you for how you've led us through the worship. Thank you that you are here in our midst. Be with us, guide us, open our spiritual eyes and ears. Speak through me, O Lord, even on worthy vessel to your people, that your name be glorified. Amen. So, quickly to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Sometimes what we do it's not about ourselves. It's about the legacy, our children. So by definition, integrity is the qualification of being honest and having strong moral principle. It is moral uprightness and is generally a personal choice to hold oneself to a consistent moral and ethical standard. In ethics, integrity is regarded by many people as the honesty and truthfulness or accuracy of one's action. The word integrity evolves from Latin adjective, integer, meaning whole or complete. And for those that are very good in mathematics, like Brian, integer is a whole number, a whole number such as one, two, and it is the opposite of fractions, which is one point or zero point. It can also be defined as unimpaired condition, the quality or state of being complete or undivided. An English dictionary describe or rather define integrity as a firm adherence to code of moral or artistic value or incorruptibility incapable of being bribed or morally corrupt. In the Bible, the Hebrew word translated integrity in the Old Testament as the condition of being without blemish 
completeness, perfection, sincerity, soundness, uprightness, wholeness. That's where we go back to mathematics. In the New Testament, integrity means honesty and adherence, of, adherence to patterns of good works. And in this context, it is the inner sense of wholeness deriving from the qualities such as honesty and consistency of character. As such, one may be judged that others have integrated in the extent that they act according to the values, principles, and beliefs they claim to hold. If we, if we say we believe in, in Christ, what are the values of, what are the qualities of Christ? Is it in us? That is one thing. And our Lord Jesus and Savior, he is the perfect example of a man of integrity who after he was baptized, went into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights and was hungry. Now Satan came up to him to take advantage of the situation, the advantage of his seemingly weak state to break and corrupt him. If you go with me to the book of um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, I will read from 1, then Jesus was led up by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the, by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on exceedingly high mountains and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angel came and ministered to him. Sometimes uh, in life, when we devil always look for our weak points, he always look for where we are vulnerable, the soft and the weak spots. He goes back to our comfort zone. That's where he attacks us. If you are able to identify all these areas in your life, it will be hard for the devil to defeat, to defeat you. The battle is spiritual. But again, you have all that is needed in the scripture. Christ did not even, he didn't raise his voice. Devil knows the scripture. He, he cited the scripture and Christ cited the scripture as well. You need to know the, the scripture. You need to know what God says in that particular situation. The situation you find yourself, you need to know. What is God saying about this? And what is the purpose 
for every challenge, for every hurdle, there is a reason for that. And in most cases, it's to build you up. Christ did not succumb to the will of the devil because he knows who he is. He was not divided. He was whole and complete and therefore cannot be moved. Jesus is a full man and fully is a fully man and fully God at the same time. And the book of Hebrews chapter 4:15 says, "He was tempted in every way as we are, yet never sinned." There is nothing you are passing through that he did not go through. He did not go through. He went through all those things. And that's why he understands your plight. That's why he understands your feelings. And that's why he has answer to all of them. You cannot give what you don't have. You can give what you have. You cannot impart knowledge that you don't have. But the knowledge that that is in you, that's what you can give. That is a perfect definition of integrity. Jesus Christ is the only one who is ever without blemish. He is perfect, completely truthful, and always showing patterns of good works. As sinful human beings, our integrity is flawed, but his is perfect. When we are in Christ, we partake of his divine nature. Having been given a new nature in him, and that new nature is one of integrity because it is the nature of Christ, integrity. And one writer put it this way, integrity is an uphill marathon, not a sprint. It is not something once thought and forever caught. And you can be sure that when serious integrity problem appears in a person's life, they result from a slow leak, not a blowout. On the other hand, the life of consistent righteous living not only results in proving track record of integrity, it also comes, becomes an eternal investment in our lives, families, and society in general. The truth is, like any other habit, it gets easier with practice. And that is what King Solomon means in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. What he's saying here is, it's not something that you just get it once and for all. It's something that has to be there. It's something that has to be provoked. It's something that has to be challenged in order to come out. And you have to be firm in order not to fall on the wayside. Children led through life by mom and dad of integrity have it much easier when they become adults. And that's what touched me when Ina was talking about the battle at home, the children. That is where the battle is. The one outside, I might call it secondary, but they are very, very essential. The primary battle is at home. Sometimes we pretend it's not there. But it's actually there. And one thing is, sometimes it's not about, I'm not contradicting what the writer said, but sometimes it's not like the integrity is not there among the parents, but the peer pressure also. These are the challenges. How do you marry the two? 
that they could go out there, be influenced, and when they come home, you will be able to take it away from them and point them back to the right direction. It is there, and it's the biggest challenge to every mom and dad here. And those that have raised their children, like our dear um, sister, can tell you the same story. It is natural. But what is unnatural is when you can no longer cope with it, when you throw in the towel. That is what is unnatural. We are called to be consistent. We are called to be rooted. We are called to keep on, even being like signboard. This is the way. This is the way. That's how we should be. Point them to the right direction. During his sermon on, Mount si on, on the mount, Jesus taught his audience on what integrity means. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We are talking about integrity. The state of being complete, the state of being whole, When you serve the devil, or when you have two masters, which is the world and the God, the chances that you will not make it is high. Because you will be either you become loyal to the world and forget about God, or you become loyal to God and forget about the world. You cannot be in the middle. You have to pitch your tent in one, and that's when you become whole. So the secret of knowing what is expected of a person of integrity lies in this statement. You cannot serve God and mammon. It means you cannot serve the devil and at the same time serve God. It means you cannot serve money at the same time serve God. Serve here means it implies to be enslaved. To serve God entails having money and other earthly issues under control, not under their control. We cannot be a, a slave to our passion. We may love money, that is essential. But the love of money, what did the Bible, Bible say about it? It's not that nobody, nobody, nobody can say, I hate money. But we're talking about the love of money. When you take it as your God, when it becomes everything, you disregard everything. We talk about uh, the children, for instance. Some, you neglect them. You don't care where they are. What you care is the money, to make the money. You don't care about who, about your fellow brothers or sisters, what you care is about money. And you don't even care where, how you, where and how the money comes. And you don't make time for God any longer. That's when it becomes a problem because it has now become your God. You can't serve both at a time. But when you are serving God, all these things will be under your control. Who is the, where is the source of this wealth? It is God. So we cannot serve both at a time. 
Integrity is serving God, and the only way to serve him is to live according to his words. Walking in the integrity of our heart is not about living a double standard life. It is not about hypocritical life. It is not about pretentious life. It is not about self-righteousness. And it's not about kind of compartmental sort of life. On the contrary, it's about living a truthful and honest life, being transparent. It's about living a godly life. It's about the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can see that on uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, 22-23. When these fruits are not in you, when you are not living out these fruits, you are not walking in the integrity of your heart. It takes self-control to walk in integrity of our hearts. And then integrity can be broken into three inseparable parts to reveal the dynamics of this powerful concept. And these inseparable concepts are, number one, truth, conviction, and reputation. All these three are at the core of integrity. If you take one out of it, you are not there. It has to be. They are inseparable. Because you cannot be a man of integrity when you don't have truth in you. And when the the conviction for what you believe is not there, and when it's the life you are living is contrary to what you believe. Another writer put it this way. It is impossible to walk in the integrity of our hearts without being truthful and honest. Integrity is truly who and what we are, especially when we are hidden from the gaze of others. It is forged in the back rooms of our private lives. Eventually the truths will always come out in open. And the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. So what this place is saying is, integrity is not about how you present yourself in public. It is who you are when you are by your side, by yourself, when nobody is there, when those little eyes are not on you, when nobody is there, what you can do defines who you actually is. Because life is full of pretensions. Somebody People can present themselves contrary to what they really are. And that's what they want you to know. But who are you? Who you really are is when you are by yourself, when nobody, what you can do when nobody is there, when nobody is seeing you. For the Bible says, by their fruit, we shall know them. Now, we are going to look at all these three principles inseparable. We are are not going to separate them, but we are going to look at them one after the other, one by one. So let us look at truth as an inseparable aspect of walking in integrity of our heart. Go with me to the book of John, chapter 14. John 14, verse 6. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are living in a corrupt world where vices and negativities are lauded and rewarded. We are living in a world where people can compromise their way to the high position of wealth and influence, <coughs> where people can adjust the boundaries to suit their personal interests. We are also living in an age where virtues and godly livings are met with open contempt and rejections. We are living in the age where scriptural values are being eroded on daily basis or branded as old-fashioned. I, when, you do, when you interact with the youths, the kids, you find out that some, most valued values is nothing to them. They have their own values. They, when you talk about the scripture, what is, they look at it as they, they, it doesn't mean a thing for them. Why? Because the society is kind of misleading them. The truth is no longer being told to them. Because those that are supposed to tell them, they themselves, they don't have such values and they don't have regard for it. The other day I was um, interacting with this guy, an Irish guy. So he was like, we were talking about uh, Christianity because when he came in, he asked me, are you a Christian? I said, yes. So he said that um, Ireland used to be, you know, Christian, uh, Christian, but that Christianity have spoiled everything, that this and that, you know. I was looking at it, and I said, this is a challenge. I don't know where to start. Because Ireland, to the best of my ability, uh, knowledge, when you talk about Christianity, they are pillars. I remember in school, we have this, uh, uh, one of our, um, one of the teachers was a, an Irish man indeed. But back home, we look at it, we, we classify it as a UK, United Kingdom, you know, that's um, so no, it's only now that I know, you know, as I, I know the difference. So what am I saying? When we talk about Christianity, Ireland is at the core, very at the very core. Now this guy came up with this, that we are no longer there, this and that. I was like, what am I, how am I going to react to this? So he mentioned about you know, when we talk about pedophilias and all this, the priests that are involved in all these things. So that was where he centered. But I asked him, you are talking about Christianity. Now you are talking about individuals that fell the standard of Christianity. We need to understand Christianity is not the problem. Problem is the individuals that fell to adhere to the standard of Christianity. Now the question is, the Bible said, do not steal. Is it a problem? He said it's not a problem. Now, do not covet your, uh, your, your neighbor's, uh, whatever your neighbor has. Is it a problem? He said it's not a problem. Then I told him, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Is it a problem? He said, it's not a problem. That's when I told him that all these things are very, very core to Christianity. You know, the principles of Christianity. That is what Bible preaches. They preach, preach about love. It preach about unity. It preach about how you can help one another. How you can be relevant to your society, how you can add and not to subtract. So the individuals we are talking about, people that could not, even in the Christian, in Christianity, they fell. They were not living according to the biblical standard. 
So he was like, anyway, these are, and, but uh, because it was getting some, with the way he was. So I told him that the problem is there will be a time if care is not taken. Islam, because when you reject Christianity or your traditions, what you, your values, when you reject it, you will be open to others, other values, other religions, and they might take over. You forget about your past. The best thing is forget about individuals that fail. Look at those that excel. Christianity is not evil. And it's not the problem. The problem is the individuals. Those priests that fell, even in the Bible, is still is the same. Not everybody, so many of them fell. But we focus on Christ. And when we walk with Christ, that is when the difference, we make the difference. Before I, I digress, please. So let's go back to... So, like I said, we are living in the age where scriptural values are being eroded on a daily basis. All branded old-fashioned. It's no longer in existence. No, these are, you know. However, despite this, our lives as believers should continually reflect the truth that we believe in. No compromise. The truth that is Christ Jesus. The truth, the truth that he represents. I cannot claim to walk in the integrity of my heart when there is no truth in my life. Is it possible? It's not. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we go to 1 John, First, first John chapter chapter one chapter one I'll read from five to ten. He says this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Truth is the very opposite of lies. It is not the same thing as facts. Truth is truth and does not change. Facts are semblance of truth and can change, but truth remains and does not collapse under pressure. Truth does not change because you did not like or believe it. It endures forever. Truth saves and sets at liberty. John chapter 8, verse 31. Sadly, the spirit of lies and dishonesty have crept into the hearts and minds of our children and youths because truth and honesty, in most cases, is lacking at home. But 1 John 18, chapter, chapter 3, 18 and 19 says, My little children, let us not love in words or in tongue, but in deeds and in truths. 
And by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Moral decadence in our schools, churches, and communities can as well be traced back to lack of truthful and honest leaders. Our justice systems are in shambles and without justice because truth is always compromised and misrepresented. But where the fruit of spirit abound, it shall not fail to manifest. And when it does, the difference is always clear. Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4. Thirteen, 13 to 15 says, Till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrines by the treachery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is head, Christ. That is the truth. So, well, uh, let's look at conviction, the second one. Conviction in this context means firmly held belief in Christ Jesus. It is an article of faith. And our lives as Christians should always reflect what we believe, our belief. Truth and honesty are at the core of walking in the integrity of our hearts. But conviction is the propelling force. It is the assurance of God's love and ability in any given circumstances. Conviction gives you the reason to lay it all on the altar. Great faith does not mean we do not struggle in face of challenges or trials, but conviction motivates and encourages us to see the bigger picture, to tap on the supernatural strength of God, his love and ability. Abraham demonstrated this when he left his country in obedience to God's command. He equally demonstrated this when he obeyed to present his son Isaac for burnt offering to God. David as a young lad demonstrated it when he took on Goliath, the giant of the Philistines. Because of time, I will not have time to go to First uh, Samuel 17, but I would like if you can go, if you, you can just note it, First Samuel 17, 31 to 37. Also, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated this conviction in God by refusing to bow down in worship to the golden image, despite knowing the consequences. You can find that in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, 12, 18. Stephen, he demonstrated this even at the point of death. The book of Acts, chapter 7, 54 to 60. I also want to quote an earthly man, Nelson Mandela. He demonstrated this in the face of the apartheid regime. When he became a fugitive in his own land, when he was fighting against apartheid, he was declared a terrorist. In one occasion, 
before he went, we were sent to prison. They brought him to court and the state was willing to pardon him if only he could renounce the struggle. So at the background, he was told even before the, before the because he came, he was representing himself. He came at the court. They asked him, if you say, this is a deal. If you will forget about this rubbish you are talking about, this struggle, if you will forget about it, we are willing to give you your freedom. We are willing to settle you. But one thing the man did was, which sometimes I look, when I reflect, I wonder, he looked at them at the eyeball. That was his chance, the chance he had to walk away free and become a different person. He told the jury, I quote, during my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to this struggle of African people. I have fought against black or white domination. I have cherished the ideal of democratic and free society in which all people live in peace with equal opportunity. And it's an ideal I hope to continue for. But if needs be, it's an ideal I'm prepared to die. They were talking about prison, but he was even prepared to die for the struggle. So there was nothing they could do. And that's why he was sent to jail. Stayed for, was it 27 years? He came out. But what must be, must be. It is hard to live for what you believe. But it's very, very hard also to die for what you believe. Christ demonstrated all this. Christ was willing to die for our sins because that was his mission. And that is why he went through the pains on the cross. So when you are walking in the integrity of your heart, conviction will cast away fears and embolden you to stand firmly and hold tenaciously to the promises and ability of God, no matter what the devil is projecting. And if you are not prepared, if you are not prepared to die for what we believe, Christ Jesus, whom we believe in, then we have not yet given our whole life to him. The last one is reputation. Reputation is the overall quality or character as seen or judged by people in general. It is the recognition by other people of some characteristics or ability. And reputation can as well be considered as a place in the public esteem or regard. In this context, it is a good name, a godly life. Truth is at the core of working in the integrity of our heart. Conviction enables truth to act in our life. Reputation is the outcome of living conviction. We need to understand that the reputation we gain by acknowledging truth and living by conviction may not bring us popularity. It may even put us on the hot seat. William Wilberforce, the famed English parliamentarian, fought for 45 years for abolition of slave trading. He committed his entire professional life to this cause. He endured the radical hostility and the threat of those who capitalize on capture and marketing of humans. Had he not understood the truth, had he not embraced conviction, he could never have gone the distance. His sanctity of human life grew out of his relationship with God 
who gives life. Once more, go with me to the book of Matthew. Verse 11 and 12. He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evils against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For those of us still with children, we should not grow weary in teaching them to draw their approval and sense of reputation from God. The truth that we believe, the conviction that we stand for, and the godly reputation that we gain are the very sum of working in the integrity of our hearts. It enables us to enjoy the privilege and reward of our internal position with Christ Jesus. I would also like to round up this by sharing the story of Tom Smith. I have said, I, you've heard this story before. At the point of death, a man, Tom Smith, called his children and advised them to follow his footsteps so that they can have peace of mind in all they do. But his daughter, Sarah, Say, Daddy, it's unfortunate you are dying without a penny in your bank account. Other fathers that you tagged as being corrupt, thieves of public funds, they left house and property for their children. And even this house we are living is a rented one. Sorry, I cannot emulate you. Just go. Let's chart our own course. After a while, a few moments later, he gave up the ghost. And years later, Sarah went for an interview in a, in a multinational company. And at the interview, the chairman of the committee asked, which Smith are you? Sarah replied, I'm Sarah Smith. My dad, Tom Smith, is now late. The chairman cut in, oh my God, you are Tom Smith's daughter. He turned to the other members of the board and said, Smith, this Smith man was the one that signed my membership form into the Institute of Administrators. And his recommendation earned me where I am today. He did all this free. I didn't even know his address. He never knew me. He just did it for me. He turned to Sarah. I have no questions for you. Consider yourself as having gotten this job. Come tomorrow. Your letter will be waiting for you. Sarah became the corporate affair manager of the company with all the entitlements, a duplex attached to the office and a salary of over a million per annum, excluding allowances and other costs. After a few years of working in the company, the managing director of the company came from the US to announce his intention to resign and needed a replacement. A personality with high integrity was sought after. Again, the company consultants, consultants they nominated um, Sarah Smith. Then in an interview, she was asked, what's the secret of your success? With tears, she replied, my daddy, she paved this way for me. It was after he died that I knew that he was financially poor, but super rich in integrity, discipline, and honesty. She was asked again why she was weeping. Since she no longer a kid to, as to miss her dad still after a long time. She replied, at the point of his death, I insulted my dad for being an honest man of integrity. And I hope he will forgive me in his grave now. I did not work for all this. He did it for me just to walk in. So finally she was asked, will you follow your father's footsteps as he requested? And 
Her simple answer was, I now adore the man. I have a big picture of him in my living room and at the entrance of my house. He deserves whatever I have after God. So this morning, are you Tom Smith? It pays to build a good name. The reward does not come quickly, but it will come however long it takes, and it lasts longer. Integrity, discipline, self-control, and fear of God makes a man wealthy. It may not be a huge bank account. Leave a good heritage to your children. One thing is sure, legacies of finance, wealth, can be squandered. Legacies of fame can be forgotten. But one thing that will not be forgotten is the legacies of love and righteousness that you leave behind. Father, Lord, we thank you for how you've led us this morning. Thank you for your words that have gone forth. Lord, put it on our hearts, O Lord, to live for you and to walk according to your directives. Make us whole and bid us to follow. And blessed be your name. As we depart here to our various homes tonight, today, not out of your sight, lead us, guide us, provide for us, for us, heal our infirmities, bless the work of our hands, bless our children, bless our household, bless our loved ones. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.